It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Football season is upon us, and no one covers football like Podcast One Sportsnet. We've got you covered on a daily basis with the Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen shows. Not to mention, each week you can listen to RJ Bell's Dream Preview to get the best picks from Vegas, or Ross Tucker's Fantasy Feast podcast to stay on top of it in your fantasy league. We also have Revenge of the Jocks with ex-NFL player Martellus Bennett, and even Coach Jim Harbaugh is a part of the Podcast One Sportsnet team with his show Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast. So download all of these shows and more each week on podcastonesports.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Excited to do another Division Capsule podcast with a great pair of guests. So this one is on the Southwest Division. A lot went on in this division, more more when I really thought about it. And the guests are Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated, also does the Great Breakaway podcast. And then Jonathan Sharks, my former colleague at Real GM, now of course of the ringer and both of them know this group of teams incredibly well one thing i will note is that we recorded this earlier in the day on thursday before the rocket suns trade so we actually talk about theoretical ryan anderson deals in the podcast i thought it was worth keeping in because it's still an interesting conversation but obviously that trade already happened they got brandon knight in the deal and marquis chris so that is not a part of it the episode runs about an hour 20 and brought to you by pluto tv new sponsor they are the leading free streaming television service. Our friends at Bet Online. If you go to betonline.ag and use the promo code podcast one, that's the number one, you get a 50% sign up bonus. And then TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. Lots of material to go through here. As I said at the beginning, it's, I was actually more, were more moves to talk about than I anticipated. So we had to get into, you know, the Kawhi trade, DeAndre Jordan, and drafting Luka Doncic and so many other really interesting developments and the decisions that are looking forward because all three of us really like looking to the future too. So we get into plenty of that as well. So definitely enjoy that part of it too. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, happy to be on. Of course. I like to start these with the off-season review. It makes sense to go in vague chronological order in that in that component of it. And the first question, which is interesting for a couple of teams in this division, which is who do you think got better and who do you think got worse? I would say probably the bottom of this division is better. I think Memphis and Dallas both added young players who could have really big roles right away. And I would say San Antonio is probably the obvious team. It depends if you count Kawhi being on this team or not, if they got worse or better. It's kind of complicated because he wasn't there on the team last year, so they're better with 
DeRozan, but obviously they would have Kawhi and DeRozan if all things being equal. Yeah, I think the uh, the general kind of power creep of the Western Conference is similar in that way, where a lot of these teams that weren't playoff teams last year, like the Grizzlies and the Mavs, but also if you look at you know the Lakers or the Nuggets or even the Suns, these teams are going to be either subtly or meaningfully better, assuming that you know their operative parts are pretty healthy. And so, yeah, I think overall the top of the the Southwest is going to be maybe a little bit worse. I think the Rockets just by virtue of kind of knowing how good they are and also some of their losses are not going to be quite so stout over the course of a full regular season, at least in terms of record, and maybe not quite as viable at the, you know, the highest levels of competition in the playoffs. But pretty much everyone else in within the division, I think, is going to be better. As John mentioned, just actually having DeRozan in uniform is such a meaningful uh, improvement over whatever it was that Kawhi was doing last year. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was is the right way to say it. But what I think is so one of the things I think is so striking about this question in this division is how little Memphis lost other than Tyreek. I mean, Tyreek is obviously important and he's a big part of this. But then you look at the other guys that, like, if you go through straight, you know, added loss, Deontay Davis. Macklemore, Jarrell Martin, none of them really added much. I mean, Jarrell Martin played, but that was mostly because of injuries and everything else. But the interesting question with Memphis is just the pieces they added. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., I think, is going to be better. Uh, he has the capability of being a pretty good rookie, but rookies still don't provide much positive value most of the time. Last year was this crazy aberration. But then Kyle Anderson and Garrett Temple. I think Garrett Temple could end up being an like an important part of this team just because they're looking for answers on the perimeter and adding more dudes. The same thing with Kyle Anderson, adding those guys as other options. But losing Tyreek is so important because, I mean, he was their best player last year. And you could make an argument, and I would, that they didn't intend for him to be their best player, that they wanted, mm-hmm. you know, Conley and Gasol to be healthy and to go in that direction. But I still think they'll be overall better just because they have more options. And then the other part of it, I always try to think of this as kind of there's two parts. One is the talent element, and then the other is just the overall thing. And then that gets into the most interesting question for these five teams, and that's the Spurs. Because you brought up Kawhi, and I mean, obviously, DeRozan should be expected to play more than Kawhi Leonard did because Kawhi Leonard did not play very much last year. But I don't want to gloss over their other losses because Danny Green, as maligned as he periodically was in Pop's rotation, and Kyle Anderson, who ended up playing a surprisingly big role last year, like those guys were meaningful positives for for this team. And so I I think they're I think they're going to be better if you count for the if you count Kawhi as an absent piece. But I think it's maybe I, I think it's by less than people think. I mean, they're losing a lot of three-point shooting, and they didn't shoot that many threes to begin with. And perimeter defense. I mean, San Antonio has been making it work defensively with personnel that I didn't think was great for years. But if if this coaching staff can pull a top 10, much less even like the ridiculous heights like they were lots of last season, out of this talent, then they all need to be like deified or something. Because this is, you know, with DeRozan and Marco Bellinelli, obviously DeJounte Murray is awesome. So that's going to really help a lot. But, you know, they have more traditional bigs too. This isn't a team that's going to switch everything or a lot of these other elements. So if they can piece that together, I'm going to be impressed. I'm not sell, I'm not saying it's not going to happen because San Antonio has made this work before, but this is a harder job than they've had. No, I think that's a great point. And to me, I'm almost more worried about that than their offense, where San Antonio has been, as we've discussed, character, you know, characteristically a team that is executes at a really high level defensively all throughout the regular season, which is good for 45-odd wins. 
if you do that on a nightly basis and you have enough offense to kind of remotely back it up, which Aldridge was fantastic on that end last year. And so if you couple, you know, maybe a little regression from Aldridge just because he had such a great year, uh, maybe he does the exact same thing. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think there was anything aberrational about his performance, but it was a particularly good one. I like uh, that they um, they brought back the 2013 Raptors. Like we needed that in our lives. That Rudy gave DeMar DeRozan <laughs> tandem. <laughs> You know, if a team is bad enough that it makes you consciously wonder if your franchise should tank, I always say you should just try to reconstruct it (laughs) as soon as possible. Um, But no, I mean, if you look at the personnel, like Danny was saying, how many players on the Spurs would we even consider to be average or better defenders? I think it's Murray, who is exceptional, and I think Aldridge is still above average. But other than that, it's really, I mean, this is not a murderer's row of defensive talent by any stretch. And getting them to even league average, which I'm sure they will, will definitely be a testament to kind of putting things together on a more collective basis. I, I got two names for you I think are going to be big for the Spurs this year. I think Derek White, their first-round pick last year, and Brandon Paul, who they, got, they brought out from Europe last year. Neither guys played much, but I think they have to play minutes next year as 3-and-D guys. Well, especially when you look at their wings and if they want to have any flexibility at all, you know they're going to have to get quality minutes out of those guys because the point guard rotation kind of is what it is. And this is going to be a fascinating season for DeJounte Murray in particular because with Manu retired, you know, the training wheels from a playmaking perspective are off. You know, he's really got to be able to do more, to run more, to be able to operate without a lot of a safety net around him. But, you know, point guard position aside, if you start looking at the wings, you know, DeRozan's going to have to play some three just by virtue of, you know, getting Bellinelli or getting Bryn Forbes or getting a little more scoring out there. You know, if you want to play small at all, then, you know, Rudy Gay or, or now Quincy Pondexter are going to have to do that. And so you're going to need to plug in a couple of wing minutes here from White or from Paul if you want to have any kind of flexibility within your lineup. And you're going to have to because Pau Gasol can't play against every team can't, and isn't going to play you know, more than 25 minutes on a, on a kind of nightly basis. And so Jakob Pertl is going to have to be big, and those wing guys are, are definitely going to have to supply them with some quality minutes. I mean, you look at it like of their top fives, so they go Powell, LaMarcus, DeRozan, Rudy Gay, DeJounte Murray. Not one of them is a good three-point shooter, or I guess an above-average one. So that's going to be tough. They have to really move some lineups around to space the floor, even a little bit. Well, yeah, I talked about the – Defense as being a kind of a, a stress test, if you want to think about it that way, for the coaching staff. The offense is the same way too. I mean, they're going to have to succeed in a dramatically different way than a lot of other NBA teams. And John, you brought up the shooting element of it, and Rob brought up the playmaking element. I think both of those are extremely important. I mean, there's a chance that they'll go two point guardy types more often. You know, play Murray with Patty Mills. That's one of the wrinkles that they can throw in there. They could also, you know, use Derek White. Derek White's kind of a combo guard. I don't think of him as a second point guard or anything like that. But he has some ball handling. He showed that in summer league this past year. And putting this together, I mean, it, like, I mean, and they have more to me, more one way guys than they did before, which is really, really interesting. Like Bellinelli is a good example of that. Dejounte Murray, unless he really establishes himself, is going to be that. So I'm fascinated to see how they cobble this together. But there's also an important point to make with San Antonio. And Matt Moore did this actually really well on on this show last week, which was talking about San Antonio just being built to do a lot of stuff in the regular season. And we need to think about the regular season and the playoffs as two completely different things. And so maybe San Antonio, through coaching, through execution, through all this stuff, can make it work in the regular season well enough to make the playoffs or whatever we're counting as their threshold of success. 
But then once you get into the elevated talents and the specific coaching and all that kind of stuff, that they then get get worked. Kind of like what happened this year, though, of course, the circumstances were different with Kawhi and everything else they were dealing with. Yeah, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I cannot say a team built around LaMarcus and DeRozan is going to be like super aesthetically pleasing to watch on a nightly basis. Yeah, I mean, I wonder on the regular season note if them being so different offensively will work at all to their advantage. Because if, you know, as we saw last year, the Rockets really put themselves through the reps of, okay, how are we going to defend the Warriors? Let's switch every night. Let's get these kind of rotations and this kind of understanding of what we're going to be able to do in the playoffs. And if other teams are looking at the Rockets and the Warriors and saying, how do we match up with them? Can we get our habits down? And the Spurs come and hit you on a random Wednesday with DeMar DeRozan and Warren Lockridge icing for mid-range jumpers, everything is you, you might just get a little shook in terms of your game plan and approach, the habits you built in terms of how you're closing out or spacing the floor, really, uh, really guarding those kinds of teams. And so I wonder if they might get a slight bump just from being so different, at least in terms of their regular season record. What I'm really curious to see is how much pop goes with these young guys. I think this year they've really got to do that. Even Bertans, too. I think he can't lean on his vets too much. I think he has to really develop a young second unit to keep this team afloat. Bertans is going to be a, a kind of a, a swing player and all this stuff. And you brought up Brandon Paul. I, I think I heard that the, that the Spurs are going to let him go. But the guy they're bringing oh, really? in to replace Brandon Paul is really interesting, and that's Quincy Pondexter. And so Pondexter is on a partially guaranteed deal this year. But if he can get back physically, I think Pondexter could be a wonderful fit for, what the, for where they're going. And I think... Pondexter was an underappreciated part of another team in this division's run recently, and that was the Pelicans when they made the playoffs a couple of years ago. I thought that having him, bringing him in around the deadline was a big help for them. And just having a guy who can capably defend the three, ideally, I mean, he can do some two as well. I don't know with his with with the injuries he's been dealing with whether that'll still be the case, but I could see Pondexter being a nice part of this rotation if it works out. And if it doesn't, you try for somebody else. But we can move on to the, the second question we'll start with rob here which is a move it can be a pick trade a signing that stood out to you for whatever reason. It doesn't have to be the best move or anything else like that but one that you think is interesting or important i mean one that i'm kind of curious about or really two is what do the rockets know about michael carter williams and bruno caboclo that we don't um <laughs> Just from the, I mean, if you had to pick, you know, the exact kind of backup guard you would want for the Rockets, and I say this with full understanding that, you know, Harden and Paul and Gordon are going to be sopping up the vast majority of the minutes there. Obviously, they're going to stagger Harden and Paul. You don't really need a traditional point guard by any sense, but one who isn't going to space the floor, who defensively has been, you know, kind of a steals guy, but not really a, a viable defender on a regular basis for a variety of reasons. And like Kaboko is kind of in a different category. I'm, is he on a two-way contract? Is he even on the roster right now? I'm honestly not sure. Two-way would make a lot more sense for him, for sure. Versus Carter Williams, getting a more regular guaranteed spot is a little more baffling to me, given what we've seen. Okay, I have a theory on MCW. So my theory with that is that they're thinking, we want to play Chris Paul like 60 games in the regular season. So MCW plays like 25 games at like 20 minutes and lets them just like run the offense and like a random Thursday night against Charlotte or something. And that's his only role on the team next year. Well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting idea. I've brought this up before in terms of the Warriors centers because it's the same kind of issue, which is the value of gap fillers. And so what the idea would be, and you have to get players to buy in, like Zaza Pachulia did this last year, which to his credit, I mean, there are a lot of guys that, that don't. But basically saying to this guy, 
you can't play in the playoffs, especially not against the best teams. But we have a place for you in the regular season. And, and John, you brought up the idea of him basically taking Chris Paul's place in the rotation. That's one idea, and I think that could happen. The other one is just to play both Paul and Harden fewer minutes per game. They just didn't have anybody else they could reliably play make. Gordon did it sometimes, but you want another guy. And so Carter Williams has these specific limitations. And yeah, it'd be great if they could have somebody else who was playoff quality, but I think Maury knew that they, with the money that the Rockets had available, and especially once Trevor Reza went elsewhere, that they were going to ha- that that was a, a bigger priority. That a lot of these other other things were more important. That they're like, well, we might as well get we might as well get somebody who who can be a gap filler rather than get somebody who's going to expect to be a part of the playoff rotation. Because what concerns me is always is just that that's a delicate balance. And Michael Carter Williams against the best teams, unless he's way better than he was, cannot play in the playoffs. But the Rockets have enough other guys that I think they can make it work. So it's a tightrope, but I think it's a tightrope they can walk. I have a question for y'all, actually. I was thinking about Houston. I feel like they have to make a Ryan Anderson trade. Like Anderson to pick for like Kent Bazemore or Nick Batum or somebody. What do you think about that? I mean, I think they would love to. You know, I think I think the question is going to be what are they willing to attach and how do you know, basically how do they make it worth any other team's time? Just because Anderson, I think, obviously at the level the Rockets are hoping to compete at, isn't the most viable player. Yeah. I think that's for a team like the Hornets, maybe, you know, he might be slightly more so. But even then, you know, Batum's going to be as operative for them as Anderson would be. I'm not, I'm, I guess I just, I see these deals flying around of potential candidates for Anderson, uh, but you really have to make it worth that other team's time. I just think you have to go all in this year, given Paul's age. Like, you, I think one first round pick should be enough for, like, Atlanta. Like, what does Atlanta care? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess if you were going to go all in, wouldn't you just have re-signed Trevor Ariza? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But we've, we've already crossed that bridge now. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, and, and also the the Anderson-Bazemore deal is more cash neutral, whereas re-signing Ariza is really expensive. And so that mm. might be the other way. Yeah, they'd sacrifice first-round pick, but that's going to be a pretty bad second-round pick. I mean, first-round pick. It's going to be one of it, probably one of the two worst would be a, a fair estimation of it, depending on how the Celtics and a few other teams do. But Sorry, I also feel like Nick Batum would add a whole different element to this team. It'd be crazy expensive, but I feel like he would really yeah, but make them a Batum lot more would versatile. be really interesting. The one issue I've had with him in Charlotte that was a little bit of a disappointment is that he's not as good without the ball as I hoped he would be. You know, like so. Yeah. But, and Batum really likes. It seems like he likes having the ball in his hands. It's something you see sometimes with the French national team work as well. Even though they have plenty of ball handers with Decolo and when Tony plays, Tony and all these other guys, but. I think that Batum would be interesting, but adding that extra year, because he has three years left as opposed to the two years for Anderson and Bazemore, I think that that would be there. Actually, Bazemore would be a really intriguing fit with, with Harden, because I've always thought Bazemore was better to guarding ones than twos. Well, and, they pursued him, right, in a couple of years ago. And yeah, they did. Me. They did pursue him, and the Hawks gave them more money, and so Bazemore, justifiably, it sounds like, took that. And, I mean, the Rockets, of course, then weren't the Rockets, so it's not like you're like, oh, you're turning down a championship team or anything like that. Nobody saw that coming at the time. And yeah, I think that could be a really interesting fit. The guy, the the other kind of part of this, which we can talk about for for a move that stood out to you from the Rockets' perspective, was deciding okay how we're going to address the forward departures because not only did they lose Ariza but they lost in Bob Mute who was a bargain at the minimum last year and yeah he had his issues in the playoffs because he was hurt but he was still a player of significant value to them but so what they did in 
to build on those guys or to replace them was James Ennis, who I really like, but that's a, a, an intriguing bet, and Carmelo Anthony. And I like one of those more than the other, but both of them are gambles in different ways. No, very much so. And if I could circle back to Bazemore real quick for a second, too, I think one of the reasons he's interesting as a, as a candidate for them is that it almost takes a certain kind of mental approach and mental makeup if you want to play wing for this team because you have to be able to go from standstill in the corner to 100 miles an hour on defense to fully engaged to complete investment in the scheme and in your role. And Bazemore, to me, is that kind of guy who – he knows who he is. He can, you know, if you want him to stretch and do some of the things for the Hawks, he can do that. But ultimately, he's a guy who can really go from zero to 100 in terms of an energy level, in terms of, you know, quickness, in terms of standing in the corner, to really playing a more dynamic role on defense, to cutting if you want him to do that, uh, in a way that some of these other guys, even James Ennis, who they signed, can't. And yeah, you know, I think I think that might be kind of interesting for them if they can they can get in on those talks with Anderson or however they could enter into that, because otherwise they're they're missing a little bit of that without you know Tucker for for all of his strengths is just such a limited offensive player, and he's very good at what he does, but what he does is extremely narrow. And Anthony kind of similarly, even though they're good at very different things, but you know I'm, I just don't you know you don't necessarily need a lot of dynamism on the wing. Given all, you know, Paul and Harden are going to bring plenty of that and even kind of the effect that Capella has imitates some of that kind of dynamism on its own with the way all their skill sets kind of synergize. But I look at their wings and I see, you know, obviously significantly less defense than they had last year. I'm still probably more of a Trevor Ariza fan than most and certainly a, a huge uh, Luke Bob Mute supporter. And so losing those two guys and replacing them with Ennis, who I think is fine defensively and big enough and strong enough to at least kind of be an interesting piece for them. And then Anthony is just kind of a wild card to me where I'm not, not, I mean, I get the idea more so than the practical application, I guess. Well, I would look at it. I think what they have to look at it as we'll replace Ariza with a wing we get for Anderson. We'll replace Mbamute with Ennis and we'll replace Anderson with Mello. I think if you look at it that way, they might be able to stay even. I was thinking the one other element to improve their team, I would love to see when they switch guards on Capella to throw it inside to him. When he has like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, I want to see him try to create something at the rim. I think that would really take some pressure off Harden and Paul in the regular season and maybe the playoffs too. Or at least be more zealous. That's actually something he can learn from Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic, both guys who used to be teammates together, but they're both really good at this, which is acting really quickly. So once you get that switch, even if you don't necessarily get the ball, just put the guy in the basket. Put him as close as you can, and then that's going to make the other team feel self-conscious about it. That's going to create more real estate, generally speaking, because let's use Steph Curry as an example. You're not worried about Steph Curry, the help defender, blocking that penetration at the rim or anything like that, should he still be there. And maybe that makes the team feel a little bit more self-conscious about switching. Probably not, but it it, it certainly could. And so I, I am really interested in what they can do, kind of the added wrinkles. And what I like about, among many things, about D'Antoni is with a lot of teams, we talk about wrinkles in the abstract. And he's like, oh, it'd be really cool if they did this. But with D'Antoni, we have pretty good demonstrative evidence now that he's thinking about this stuff. He's not necessarily going to do everything that we think, oh, they should do this. But he's considering it because he's so interested in fine-tuning and understanding that the league moves really quickly in terms of addressing issues and countering them. I think like when you saw that last year when he benched Anderson for Tucker in like February or something, 
he was like, let's not waste any time with stuff that's not working in the playoffs. Let's just go ahead and do it. I, I was, that was a good move. But I guess that's where I worry about the idea of Melo specifically being kind of an Anderson replacement. Is that like month to month, Anderson's minutes basically just went steadily downhill until he was, you know, getting DNP CDs and stuff in the playoffs. And that's fine. Like, you can do that to Melo too. He's on a one year deal. There's not really a lot of, like, lost opportunity if you piss off Melo. But you're talking about a guy who is coming from, you know, playing well over 2,000 minutes for the Thunder last season to Anderson, who really was a bit part of that team for the vast majority of the year. And with the Rockets being a team that, that at least last year, really wanted to kind of get into its playoff habits early. And I think that was part of the reason they almost beat the Warriors was, was because those habits were so ingrained. That's when I wonder about guys like MCW, guys like Mello, like how much slack do you want to give those guys in the regular season to kind of help get you by, help tide over minutes, help play kind of in a slightly different role? Like if you really wanted to, you could give the ball to Mello, you know, with bench units and like let him cook and eat a little bit and that's fine. The fact that that's not a thing you're going to be doing in the playoffs and the fact that the Rockets are so concerned with that, I wonder if that really matches up with kind of their ideology for how to approach the regular season. I would say I think that's where you need to see leadership from Paul and Harden. I, this is just from the outside, but it kind of seemed like Ariza was one of the leaders of that team last year, where he was like, all right, we're going to be the defensive captain, him and Tucker and Bamute. And I think you need your best players to just kind of instill we're all on the same mission, we're all going the same way, sacrifice for the team, don't complain. That's why you need Paul and Harden, I think, to really lead the team. Well, something that I find so fascinating about what Houston did this year is that I saw a lot of parallels between Ariza's role in kind of making this team happen, like Andre Guadalla with the Warriors, which is he just had relationships with all the parties involved. I mean, Ariza and Chris Paul, it seemed like he w- he was close with that. And kind of, I-, I think Chris Paul would have gone anyway, but that it helped that. And so that led to Guadalla arguably getting overpaid for the Warriors after their success. I- he's mandatory. We have to keep him. And, you know, I think that's worked out, at least in year one. And I just, my brain just went, okay, the same thing's going to happen with Ariza. You know, he's important to this team. He fills a personality element as well, like his connection to these key players. And then he's just not there anymore. So I thought that was really interesting. Lots more to talk about with Rob and Jonathan on both the offseason and, of course, the season preview coming up later. But first, a message from a new sponsor, Pluto TV. And Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Yes, I said free. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. They never ask for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. It's the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. I checked it out. It's a really cool interface. You can use it on your phone. You can use it on a Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TV, anywhere else. I checked it out on my computer and the, the interface was was really nice. And you can just check it out for yourself. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV on your favorite device. Also want to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. They are ex- the exclusive partner with Podcast One Sportsnet. Our go-to for betting, lines, odds, wagers, inside information, all of that. And this is a great time to check out BetOnline. It's betonline.ag is the website because we're getting into football. I actually watched part of Wake Forest Tulane today. That game certainly would have been more interesting if I had had something writing on it, but that's the nature of things. And so with professional football coming in soon with 
regular season games, college football really getting started very, very soon, right now, basically. It's a great time to check it out. And of course, baseball is in full swing too. I mean, we're getting into September and then of course, October. So if you want to check that out. And so what you do, go to betonline.ag and you use the promo code podcast one, and that is the number one. P-O-D-C-A-S-T, then the number one, and you get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. And that's absolutely awesome. 50% sign up bonus. You can check out baseball, football, whatever else tickles your fancy, you can go there. Betonline.ag and then the promo code podcast one, the number one. And check it out. Lots of great stuff there. Whatever you feel confident in, whatever you're going to watch and you want to have a little bit extra on this on this take, you can check it out. Betonline.ag podcast one. One promo code. There are two other moves, just because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen in this division, so we kind of need to talk about them. So the the next big one we have to discuss at least a little bit is the Kawhi trade, and the Kawhi trade to me is is a really interesting prism to look at the Spurs organization because they could have gone in a lot of different directions with that. That I mean, Kawhi is even though it was one year away and all the injury stuff, he's still like the last healthy year he played. He was a serious MVP candidate. Probably would have had a much better chance of winning if he'd actually played a little bit more because San Antonio is so judicious with their minutes. And what San Antonio chose to do, and there, there is a justifiable rationale for this, is they went more immediate. You know, they got DeMar DeRozan, who was a compete now type of player. They got a protected first round pick. We'll see what happens with that. And they got Jakob Pertl. And Pertl's a talented player, but I think of him more as a high floor, low ceiling type of center, which fits in well with some of the stuff San Antonio's done. But the decision that they made to go, okay, we're trading him and this is what we're looking for in a package is, I think it's really important. Yeah, I think they're thinking it's gonna, we can do it kind of like Toronto where we can stay relevant and then build a young team behind it and never be bad. I mean, if you've been good for 20 years, it's kind of hard to go, hey, let's lose 50 games next year. They're thinking we can develop DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, uh, Derek White, Bertans. We can get all these guys going, and then like two years from now, we have young pieces around DeRozan and Aldridge or whatever, and they're going to kind of make that transition. I think this is a retooling year for San Antonio. Or to say the least, I think. And really kind of an organizational heat check in that way. And, you know, they're putting... For you know, sure. That's a good way to put it. A lot of faith in their developmental staff, a lot of faith in their ability to scout and acquire talent in the future with, you know, mid to late firsts, with, you know, free agent signings, with bring guys in off, you know, from the D-League or Europe. Like, that's the problem with that kind of rebuilding strategies. If you don't have those clear kind of blue chip talent guys, how good can you be? Where else are you going to find really talented players or at least enough to kind of tide you over? And, you know, that's where San Antonio is good, is in terms of taking guys who are sub-elite, you know, whether comfortably or significantly, uh, you know, really kind of role-player type guys and secondary stars and things like that, and piecing together a, a pretty impressive team, a pretty impressive result relative to their talent level. And the fact that they've been able to do that historically bodes well for them, but at some point that magic runs out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. They did get Kyle Anderson with a $40 million contract from the 30th pick, so... They got to do it probably two or three more times in the next couple of years to stay on where they are. And the organizational heat check part of this also applies to the limited kind of assets they have at their disposal in the next couple of years. So, I mean, some people would think of that in terms of cap space. They can clear a little bit next year, depending on who they retain and who they let go and what they're willing to do with PAL. But it's probably going to be, I would say, another year. But then also, like, this is a very basic point, but by trying to win now, you're also weakening your draft pick. And 
you can get good players at any point in the draft. We've seen San Antonio is as good an example of that as any, though. I don't think teams are going to find guys in the 40s and 50s the way they did with Parker and Manu very often. Wait, Parker was a first-round pick, wasn't he? He was like 29. Yeah, he was 29. He was, a, he was late in the first, and Manu was late in the second. Um, I just remember Rick Pitino calling him Troy Parker on the draft. And he's like, I like this Troy Parker kid. That's how far back that was. I didn't know what was going on. So that's one one interesting move. And then the other one, which we'll, we'll talk about the player later, but the decision with Luka Doncic is really, really interesting here. And the parallel that I've made is to what Philly did for Markel Fultz. And there are a whole bunch of discussions that can and will happen about that decision later on. But the idea from Dallas's perspective was... We think this is the best guy in the draft. He's a wonderful fit for what we need, and he is not going to be available at our pick. So we're going to give up something of meaningful value to get our specific guy. And Atlanta, like Boston, said, ah, we have these two guys pretty close. We can get this asset, move down, and get get the guy that we like about as much, or even more, we don't know what Trey Young. And from Dallas's perspective, A, I agree with the move, and B, like, it's so, it's so fun because it creates this team that is dramatically more interesting than if they had just stayed at their spot and drafted a center. I would say it's riskier than Philly, obviously, because... Yeah, I would say so, too. They... They are. They already had Simmons and Embiid, whereas Dallas just has Dennis Smith. So if Luca like forgets how to shoot threes, it's going to be really bad around here. But that probably won't happen. No, I like it too from that perspective with Smith in terms of the relative value of those guys together. Where with Dennis Smith, you're kind of if, if you're investing in him long term and, and you're really banking on him to develop and continue, and you want him as your starting point guard. With a wing guy, you're looking at particular kinds of talent. And Dallas, you know, especially under Rick Carlisle, loves to bring its point guard off the ball, loves to run a lot of kind of versatile action, entering from a variety of places. And so having a wing like Doncic, or if you want to play him at back a point guard some or whatever you want to do, that's fine. But just having multiple points of entry for your offense where you can open up a guy like Smith to be a cutter in certain situations, to go backdoor, to work off the ball. And you're, of course, you're relying on him to develop his shot in accordance with that. But I like that idea of if you're going to build an offense with kind of a multiple playmaking angle ideal, Doncic is the guy you kind of want in that spot where maybe he couldn't be a full-time point guard in the NBA. Maybe he could, depending on kind of your scout on him. But I like the way those two guys could potentially work together. Yeah, I think turning Dennis into the number two option is like one of the big wins of that move. I feel like if Dennis is your number one option, I'm not sure how high your ceiling is really. But I think him as a number two option, I think, makes you a lot more exciting going forward. It also makes it substantially easier to pivot in case Smith is not the answer at point guard. Like, now you have two bites at the apple, and if either one of them works out, you can make it work at the other spot. And there certainly is a chance that neither one of them will. I mean, that's the way it works with draft picks. But if Doncic becomes awesome and Smith is not what you want, you can go after a point guard, and if and if you can have more ball handling at the three or whatever the heck position Luka ends up playing, it's a lot easier to find that kind of a point guard, even in, you know, the modern league. And maybe... If you want to get really fun with this, you don't even have to have a point guard at all. You could go with somebody who's more two-guard sized and is more of an off-ball player and switch stuff. And I think we're going to see some teams maybe go in that direction around these guys like LeBron. And, I mean, like Alonzo Ball is more two-guard sized than one-guard sized, which yeah. is great. And, like, I think we're going to see teams go in that direction when they can, and that's what a bigger ball handler can allow you to do. Houston didn't do that with Chris Paul, but Chris Paul is so awesome and is a capable switcher for his size, which is unbelievable, that they made it work. But I think we're going to see more teams in that direction. 
I think the Mavs will be the one of the teams going with the multiple. I mean, Rick sometimes would play Devin Harris at the three. Like that man loves to play little guards constantly. I don't. Well, yeah, see him I mean the Energizer Bunny lineup last year that was that was Yogi, JJ, and Devin Harris, right? And then Dirk and Dwight Powell. Like that was one. Of, like that was a low key dominant. Lineup was lineup. It was incredible. It was incredible, man. I think that's they where second units are going. Points. Yeah, I, I like. They worked really well. So unless you guys have any other moves that are, are standing out to you, I think this question will be pretty quick, which is just the best newcomer to their team. Probably going to be a free agent signing, and I think, or a trade, actually a trade acquisition, because I think that's what it is here. Yeah, I mean, it has to be DeRozan, right? He's going to be like a solid player. He's going to get a huge role in the offense. He's just a really solid veteran. They're going to make it work. Though I think really the most interesting newcomer is Julius Randle. I'd rather talk about him than DeRozan. No, I mean, I agree DeRozan by default is the best player. I think DeAndre deserves kind of a, you know, complimentary inclusion in this conversation just by virtue of what he brings to a team. And even just from a developmental perspective for Dallas, you know, we, we talked about Doncic and Smith a lot, but giving those guys kind of a reasonable facsimile of a functional lineup around them that isn't, you know, like we talked about, three super small guards and kind of this whack formation, getting kind of a rim-running big and a stretch big and a guy like Barnes who can do a little of everything around you, I think Jordan kind of completes that puzzle in a nice way. But, yeah, DeRozan is the best of that class. Randall, I agree, is super intriguing. And the Pelicans conversation at large, I think, is one we definitely need to dig into just because – that team was very, very good last season, even by record. And, you know, regardless of what you think of Boogie's place on that team, losing him, replacing him with Randall, along with some of the other kind of more minor moves they made, puts them in a very interesting position. I think asking them to be significantly better than a 48-win team, as they were last year, is a bit much. But between Randall and Davis and Miracic, there's a lot of viability for a lot of different looks. I think the one thing about the Pelicans, I think last year they figured out, they said in the playoffs, Davis is a five and Drew is a two. And before they were playing Drew at the one, Davis at the four. And I think those lineups with Drew is playing off the ball and offense, guarding, and Davis is playing at the five with a, with a stretch four, that they absolutely demolished Portland. That was one of the most impressive things in the playoffs, I thought. It just... They, they, they played Golden State the next round, so they didn't get much momentum. But the way they crushed Portland, man, that was super impressive. Very. I guess the only the only way I would quibble with that is that, and this is, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not a plea for them to have re-signed Rajon Rondo, but. If you think Drew is a two as an organization, why would you sign Alfred Payton to be the guy who's going to play the one? That's the gamble they're making. That's yeah. definitely the gamble. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that they went for Alfred Payton, yeah, local kid, and, and Alfred Payton signed before everything else happened, so like there were parts of it that they didn't know. But it's still infuriating to me that New Orleans doesn't have any investment in small forwards because that would really help their team. You know, you have a really good big man. You have a really good guard. The most logical thing to do then is to have somebody who can ideally be as close to two ways as possible. And we know how hard that is because there aren't that many of those guys in the league. And they're not even really throwing many lottery tickets at that. You know, Darius Miller is, you know, I guess I guess he's kind of a try at that, though he's more of a two yeah. than anything else. And... They've just not really been throwing their resources in that direction, but they have I'll enough talent to make it work. One name I think it tells you how like desperate they're going to be. It's Troy Williams. Mm-hmm. He's kind of bounced around the league for a few years. They just kind of have to play him. They need it. He's what they need if he can be good. He wasn't even drafted though, so it's hard to say have too much confidence in that. But you're right. They have no wings. We saw it against Golden State last year. They had Drew on KD the whole time. Yeah, and they tried each one more. That didn't work super well. I mean, granted, most guys on KD is going to be a problem. Is going to be problematic. But they're only born six five though. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could argue Drew is their best point guard, best shooting guard, and best small forward at this point. 
Yeah, that's probably fair. Unless say, unless yeah. Anthony Davis is their best small forward. I mean, he's never <laughs> going to play enough. there, but it, it's probably between those two. And w- that leads into actually one of the things that's really interesting about this Pelicans team is going to be how Alvin Gentry uses this personnel. Because last year, you know, as, as Jonathan brought up, it got into some directions with Drew playing off ball more next to Rondo and defending different positions. And they also got a great matchup in Portland because Portland didn't have any threes, so it didn't matter that New Orleans didn't. They could just throw Drew on one guy and make it work but that's fine you know they, they, uh, what they did I don't want to take anything away from it it was a, it was a great accomplishment but what I'm fascinated by is this idea of a team that three of their four or five best players all are what we would call big men and so does that mean they're going to play Miritich at the three does that mean they're going to stagger those guys a little bit because I think any combination of two of three of Davis, Miritich, and Randall is going to be fun. I think that it'll work well. They also have other guys like Okafor, Sheikh Diallo that they can throw in if they want. Oh to. yeah, they have Jaleel Okafor. I forgot. About well, they that. have Emeka Okafor and Jaleel Okafor. So, oh my god, I was referring, yeah. I was referring to Emeka, but Jaleel is also worth mentioning. And Get your so, Okafor jerseys now. That's for sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> an Okafor, Okafor front crest. They should wear. Before. They should wear his, even though they don't look similar. They should just wear similar numbers, just like I thought the Morris twins should have when they were on when they were teammates, and just like seeing if anything happened with it. But like Oka four squared, man. Let's do it. But so how how Gentry manages that? Like, do they play Solomon Hill at the three? Do they like I I think of Hill as ideally if like one of those guys who there was this old Arnovitz thing about how if you have to ask if if you have to ask a guy's a four, I think it's kind of if you have to ask a guy's a three now, not because they should be a four, they should be a four, but because there are no threes anymore. And so like I think Solomon Hill is gonna end up there just like a couple other guys are, just like Dante Cunningham did a couple years ago. And so how Gentry manages this is going to be so fascinating because they don't have a ton of options. I don't necessarily love the ones they have, but I'm intrigued to see how it works out because they could theoretically get guys on minimum deals. Like I think that would be a very a very intriguing place if I were a G League guy or somebody from China that like like one of the Americans that goes over there to say, "Hey, look, I can go to this team and I can actually play." And so maybe I think, somebody oh, comes sorry. in in January. I think one thing worth pointing out with New Orleans, so they've only made the playoff twice with Anthony Davis, and they played Golden State both times. But if they play anybody else in the playoffs and they've got to face Anthony Davis, like I'm feeling pretty confident if I'm New Orleans. Like I've got a guy who might score 30, 35 points, right? Like if they played Houston, what's they going to do against Davis, Clint Capella, really? Well, so you go back to the 2015 playoffs, and I mean that year Davis was in the MVP conversation for a little while. Even you know he wasn't in probably the winning, but I think he finished top five or at least he was close to it. And I still think. There's no, there is no reason to believe that the best Anthony Davis seasons have already happened. I, I would expect zero percent chance that's going to. If I'm going to say healthy, and so he's been pretty steady the last couple of years, and I'm so happy he's played 75 games the last two seasons. Like that's a great step. But if he has another step, another like another jump to make, maybe not a full on leap like like Bill Simmons would say, but if he has another big step to do, he's a problem. And I got actually, I got a question for you guys. Sure. Um, could we say he's in the same level as LeBron and Durant and Steph and all those guys now? Can like, could you make the argument he's already the best player in the league? I think it'd be a tough argument to make, but I think he's clearly in that class. 
I think he, he has earned a place in that discussion for sure. And it depends on how you weight offense and defense and like what you make of Harden and things like that as far as kind of his exact ranking. But, I mean, I, I don't see what argument you would have against him kind of being included in that group. The argument, like to, the argument oh, sorry, to make against, against him being in that group is that he doesn't have the ball in his hands enough. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he is a very good defender, but he's not, you know, that insane whatever work, whoever we want to call that, that, that like definitive defender. And so for me, that's kind of a separate marker like LeBron and Steph and Harden and a lot of these guys. But of that kind of other group of guys who do not need the ball in their hands every single time. And, and also if we're talking physical talent, I mean, I think that Davis is one of the most physically talented guys in the league. We kind of obsess about this a little bit with Joel Embiid. And Embiid's, I mean, his defense is really fun. I like that he's, in many ways, more of a traditional big than Davis is. But Anthony Davis can do just about everything Joel Embiid can do. And most of it, if not all of it, he can do it better. It's just that we're so used to it by now that Davis doesn't seem as special anymore. But he's unbelievable. Yeah, to me, he's significantly better than Embiid. And I think he's really the best defensive player. I think you can make the argument he He's the best defensive. Like, compare him to Gobert. Gobert couldn't do the things Davis can do on the perimeter, right? Like, when they're blitzing pick and rolls against Portland, Gobert's not going to do that. Like, to me, Davis could be the defensive player of the year and the MVP in the same – I think he has that potential. Well, he's the bridge kind of functionally between Gobert and Draymond, right? Like, he's the guy yeah. who has the length, who has the mobility. And as far as, like, the not having the ball in his hands argument, Danny, I'm sympathetic to it. Obviously, his usage is nowhere near kind of the top guys in the league. But he was second in scoring in the regular season. He was second in scoring in the playoffs. Like, he's so damn efficient. Yeah, and I mean, he gets 30 points a game or something. Who needs yeah. the ball? I mean, the center you can run curls for to shoot mid-range jumpers and he's funny on him. Like, that guy, I, I really don't know where you start or finish with him. And the defense especially, I mean, we talked about that Portland series, but the clamps that he and Drew put on uh, Damian Lillard. Man, it was disgusting, man. And, and, and was... Dame had an unbelievable season. And so, you again, you look across the playoff bracket, you think about, okay, if they play Utah, what's to say that they couldn't do the same thing to Donovan Mitchell? What's to say they couldn't do something similar to Russell Westbrook? Uh, obviously a very different beast, but like you're telling, like I refuse to believe that Drew and Davis couldn't make life hell for Russell Westbrook. Here's what I'm thinking: facing for that team. What if they played the Lakers, right? And you put Davis on LeBron. Like if I'm the Orleans, I like my chances. I'm not like sweating it too much. Like I'll I mean, take I'm, Davis. You know, I'm buying a ticket. Younger. I'm buying a ticket to watch that series. Couldn't That's- that be incredible? That'd be a yeah, it, I, I mean, the, the the Pelicans are so interesting, and then Rob brought it up in terms of Rondo, like, replacing him is going to be a meaningful challenge just because they don't really have amazing personnel for it, but I think that maybe just asking, in the regular season, I think it could end up being bigger in the playoffs because then those guys are just going to take on more. You know, it's kind of like what we were talking about with gap fillers with Houston. I think it's kind of the same idea with New Orleans in the regular season, but the other thing that that's done, and this will come up a little bit we talk about playoff stuff, I want to bring this up, is that this team is now more dependent on Holiday and Davis than it was before, which is a little bit problematic. But I still, like, this team at full strength is going to be so much fun. Yeah, maybe you could do, like, you're playing Davis and Holiday. Maybe you could have Randall handle the ball. Like, and he could be kind of like a point center guy in the playoff, a little bit. You know, kind of spread the wealth around in terms of handling and passing. 
My only concern with that is, like, Julius Randle is a great player, super productive. I think he really took strides last year. But he is so much like that big guy at the pickup game who really wants to show everyone he can pass. <laughs> and so, like, it's just, like, crazy back doors. It's like he's just passing, like, 15% above his pay grade uh, in a way that in a playoff series would make me super nervous. That's, that's my life, by the way. That's my game. I'm always out here. I'm trying to be Jokic, but I'm more like Randall, realistically. Yeah, and it's, it's funny how the league is kind of giving those guys more now than it used to because now it's like, oh, if you can grab and go and you can do all stuff. And Randall has a better skill set for that than a vast majority of guys his size. But I wonder well, you know, if that's ever going to lead these guys into a few little bad directions. I see this with Joel Embiid sometimes, actually, where Embiid, he gets so excited to have the ball in his hands that he just makes a bad decision. And so maybe the next part of training all these guys to be guards is to get a guard mentality of attack when you can and all that kind of stuff. But we'll get there. I, I fully expect that it's going to be there. And then the last question, it's not about who's going to be the best because that's silly, but the rookie that you are most excited to see. I mean, for me, it's got to be Luca. Just from the sheer intrigue, from seeing how he measures up against NBA athleticism, from seeing what his effect could be on that team and its talent base as a whole. For all the reasons we've already outlined, Dallas has really staked its future on him being not just good, but really damn good. And the first steps of kind of seeing that and evaluating it, there. I mean, to me, that's one of the best, you know, non-like. If, if you want to separate from the, like, who is going to win the championship level conversation, that's probably one of the most intriguing storylines in the league, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I'll put in the case for Jaron Jackson. I actually did a story on him today. And I think for this season, I think he'll probably be more important because it seems to me Dallas, if their two primary guys are a first and second year guy, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But if Jaron Jackson can play big minutes right away, I think he can make Conley and Gasol he could help them out a lot. They might sneak into the playoffs, maybe. But he has to be really good, which he might be. I really like, I love Jaron Jackson's game. I think he's going to be. I think he has a chance to be the best rookie in this class when it's all said and done. Memphis's place in the playoff race in general is something I'm I'm really curious to watch. Just because last year, 47 wins was what it took for the for the Timberwolves to get in, and they were clawing on the last night of the regular season to get that done. And then Denver is going to be, you know, probably even better than they were last year. The Lakers are going to be in that mix. I'm interested to see where that line is this year because, to me, the Grizzlies are easily, a, you know, 500, better than 500 team. But how much better than 500, you know, if you can keep Gasol and Conley healthy. That's the main thing, obviously. Those, but yeah, but those two guys are so much better than anybody Dallas has at this point. For sure. You know, they're, like, their combination and the way they build off each other and what they can do for your team is probably even more impactful than, say, what Carl Towns and Jimmy Butler are doing together. Like, they're just two guys who really know how to play together. And so, I mean, you're really throwing out a lot of the data from Memphis last season. I mean, they're scrapping. If you looked at their probably top 10 in minutes played, what, two or three of those guys, they're even back on the team or even going to be in meaningful roles. Like, if you can get Andrew Harrison out of playing a thousand yes, <laughs> or whatever, even if it's, you know, bringing in Sheldon Mack or getting Garrett Temple the ball as like a backup point guard, like anything you can do to kind of shore that up, which I think they've done. Yes, they don't, they still don't have the kind of perimeter shooting you want. They still don't have everything. But between Jaron Jackson Jr., between getting their two lead guys back and then, you know, the kind of incremental progress you get from having a guy like Kyle Anderson on the floor who's not going to shoot, but he's going to make the playmaking a little bit easier. He's going to make possessions glide a little bit more smoothly. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule out that team kind of being right there in the mix with, with the Timberwolves and the Nuggets and those guys kind of on the floor. Okay, something else I heard. I'm not sure if it's out there, but apparently Parsons went to Germany this summer and got himself some new knees. Did that uh, Kobe Bryant medicine thing. 
He's only 29. I don't know. That would be okay. – anything they get from him would be huge. Right? They've, they've added more options at the forward spots with guys like Kyle Anderson. But, I mean, anything they can get from him would be a big help. And, you know, if they can get basically anything from their young guys, period, that would be huge. I mean, not only Javon Carter and Jaron Jackson, but even – I mean, because they, they've just had such a rough run of draft picks recently that getting anything – I mean, Dylan Brooks played the most minutes of any rookie last year, which is pretty cool. But – that they'll have to get more than than Dylan Brooks in order to make this. And it's unfortunate for Memphis. I mean, granted, it's funny, the geographic argument, because Memphis is so far west than Tennessee, it's not as ridiculous as some people would think. But, like, if they were in the Eastern Conference, we'd be talking about them as a competitor for, like, the eighth seed just because of where the, like, 43 wins might get you in in the East. It, It might even get you pretty cleanly in. And in the West, I mean, there are just so many good teams that... I feel like Memphis is just, like, they're a very good team, and so if there are squads that fall off, like, if we have more injuries at the top than we expect, and they're to the quote-unquote right teams for Memphis's purposes, they can they can make it in. But it's just that, you know, they're probably going to have to get to 45-46, and they could, but that's a lot to ask. I mean, for reference, we're getting a little bit in the season preview part here, but, like, the last two years before the lost season of last year, 43 wins and 42 wins. And so, like, it's still a lot to get up to 45-46 from that point, especially because Memphis has been notoriously good at, like, they've outperformed their point differential basically forever other than last year. And so that's going to be, it'll be hard for them to get to that level. Though I, I like you guys, don't want to foreclose on the possibility. I think it's what you were saying too with Tyreek Evans. I think they've got to find a third scorer after Gasol and Conley. And like, I had someone in Memphis tell me they, they're excited about Marshawn Brooks. So they've got to figure out some combination of guys. <laughs> Like Parsons, Brooks, Omri Caspi, Jamichael Green. If those guys can somehow cobble together into third, a third and fourth option, Kyle Anderson. I think that's the key for them beyond the health is can some of these vets just give them like an 18, 19, 20 usage rate? Luca is my pick as well. I think that he, he, he's going to not be a definitive answer, but answer so many questions that I've been interested in as the most accomplished teenage European to come over ever. Like that's going to, you know, the ACB is the second best league in the world. He's played a lot of high end basketball, including international play. So how does that translate? Also, you know, Anytime a guy can potentially run an NBA offense who is bigger than point guard sized, I'm just on board. But Jaron Jackson Jr. would be my pick in probably three or four divisions because I really am fascinated by him. He's an unusual guy because he he was smarter defensively at Michigan State than uh, than you would think. And considering the scheme they played, it was so weird that you noticed it because when you're he was basically playing power forward a lot of times in a zone, and it's not easy to show like oh you're smart. But every movement he made defensively. Was was in that line. He has this super weird jump shot that it's it's one of those ones, it's kind of like the argument I'm sure that LeVar made with Lonzo, which is, it's weird, but he's comfortable with it and it goes in. The difference, As long that, as it goes in, right. Yeah. And, and so with, with Jaron, I'm wondering about that. But also, he's another guy who's more comfortable with the ball in his hands than like a lot of guys who came into the league five to ten years ago at his size. So I'm fascinated by him. And also, like John talked about, Jaron Jackson could end up being an important part of a legit good team. And that makes him intriguing as well because they're not it's not going to be the Jason Tatum circumstance. I think that's going to ruin these things for a lot of people for years to come. Tatum and Mitchell, both those guys, significant contributors to strong teams, especially if you take Utah second half of the year. And Jaron Jackson's not going to be that. I would be shocked if he was that this year. But he can be the more like, remember it was two years ago that we basically didn't have anybody that any of us thought deserved Rookie of the Year. 
and he'll be better than I think all, I, I would hope that he can be better than all those guys. Yeah, I think it's just different because he's not going to be a high usage guy right away. So I think he will. It was a lot like in college basketball last year. Like he didn't have the same stats as Aiton Bagley because those guys are high usage primary guys. But he still helped his team a lot by shooting and guarding. And it'll be the same thing in the uh, NBA. He'll probably not take more than like six or seven shots a night anyways. But he can still help a team in other ways. Well, if he can jump kind of the defensive learning curve in the way that guys like Simmons and Tatum did last year and be you know an impactful defender from year one, that's really something the Grizzlies need in a bad way, especially with Gasol and Conley you know, aging out of their primes. Gasol in particular is a couple years removed now from really being an impactful defensive player. If Jackson can even be, you know, solid on that end, I think it gives them a, a nice leg up in their rotation. Well, I mean, I think, I think worth pointing out, like, the one advantage Simmons and Tatum had is they played in front of a good defensive center who kind of did all the quarterback on the defense. So you had Horford and Embiid. And Gasol's not very fast anymore, but maybe he can think for Jackson and be like, all right, Jaron, just handle these three things and that'll I'll do the rest. I'll, I'll fall in the cracks a little bit. That's a great point. It's also worth mentioning that both of those guys went into schemes, and Don, you would even argue Don Mitchell that he's a different position. They went into schemes and coaching staffs that kind of knew what they were getting into, and I am not yet sold on J.B. Bickerstaff. Like, yeah, I got no takes on him. I don't know. Well, I, don't, I don't know. I was more familiar with his work when he was on the when he was interim on the Rockets because that was it, the Warriors ended up playing them a bunch. They ended up playing them in the playoffs, and I just never thought he was really doing much to squeeze it to squeeze out like anything particularly special from that team and yeah you're an interim coach you can't put your full imprint on anything but like I was never sitting there going like oh man this team like this guy is really bringing something to the table so that doesn't you know you can certainly build off of that and having your own team is a whole lot different than being an interim head coach but you want to see something and I didn't see much of something so that's I mean he's definitely the least proven head coach the other coaches in the division are all pretty good they've all been around the block a long time yeah, I mean, Carlisle, D'Antoni, Popovich, Gentry. Gentry. And, I mean, Gentry, it's it's a little bit different with him because, I mean, he has been a head coach in various stops and he's been a high-profile assistant in a couple of stops. But, yeah, he's so much more proven than J.B. Bickerstaff, to be sure. Plenty more to talk about with Rob and Jonathan in the season preview section of this podcast. But first, a message from our friends at TrueCar. If you're looking to buy a car, you are probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you are really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from TrueCar. Now, you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Let's move on to the season preview. And you can use whatever rationale, though I often think regular season record is the best way to do it. But just rank these teams one to five. Yeah, I mean, I think this division is probably more straightforward than most. The Rockets are clearly the best. 
you could probably quibble for two and three. To me, the Pelicans are better than the Spurs, and the Grizzlies are better than the Mavericks. So, yeah, Houston, New Orleans, San Antonio, Memphis, Dallas uh, for me. I think he's right. Like, he, I think it is pretty clear cut. To me, it's I have to go the exact same order. I can't even be original right now. And there are certainly arguments. I mean, I, I, you could kind of put it in tiers. I would have the Rockets in a tier above everyone else, and then probably San Antonio and New Orleans in the same tier. Like, I could see those teams finishing in either order. I expect New Orleans to be better. But San Antonio finishing with a better record wouldn't shock me. And, I mean, of course, with injuries and all that there, too. But also, San Antonio, they execute so well. They'll beat the bad teams almost every single time out. And that gives you a nice buffer. Like, that'll give them, like, 20 to 30 wins to just run with. And there'll be fewer awful teams this year, so it might be a little bit tougher for them. But I still think we're going to see some of that. My big question with San Antonio, and part of the reason why I feel more comfortable than I expected to having them below New Orleans, is that this year, because of the personnel change, especially with Manu retiring, I could see there being nights where their offense is just awful. Like being nights where they're, you know, the cuts aren't, aren't generating good looks, they're not hitting threes, all that kind of stuff. And so you can win ugly games, and San Antonio does all the time. But there are certain thresholds, and there are various teams you could speak to with this example, where if you just can't score, maybe the other team gets a little bit hot, and so you lose more of those variance games than when your offense is even like league average. And so if they're below that for even some portion of the season, it might be tougher. So do y'all say do y'all think the Spurs and Pelicans will make the playoffs? Well, that right that gets a, that gets a little bit into the into the next question. And so let's just jump there right now, which is just how many teams from this division make the playoffs. And so I like to think of this in terms of like most likely outcome and then other ones. For me, the most likely outcome with this is two. And the reason why I say two is just because I think Memphis is going to fall a little bit short. And so then the question is, are you betting that both San Antonio and New Orleans are going to be better? than basically everybody else because there are a lot of good teams in the Northwest. You have the Warriors and then the Lakers in the Pacific. And so basically, if you're saying three teams from this division are going to make it in, you're picking them over, you know, probably like Denver and maybe not Minnesota, Denver and Portland or something like that. And so it certainly could happen. Like, I think three is the second most likely outcome, but I think two is most likely. Yeah, I'm on three. I think the Pelicans are going to get there. I think the Spurs, by force of will and against all of our incredulity, are going to get there. And I think more so the Spurs, basically I think one of Denver, Minnesota, or Portland is either going to trip all over itself or just succumb to injuries in a way that's going to end up costing them a spot. And yeah, as you mentioned, there are a lot of permutations to this that end up with two, and all of those are perfectly reasonable. But I have, a, I have a hard time riding off the Spurs, and I think the Pelicans, as we mentioned with Davis and Holiday playing at such a high level, are going to be in there in the end. I mean, the big question with them, it's always health. Like, they've always had trouble to keep guys healthy. Like, they really, can't, we talk, they really can't afford to have Davis or Drew miss really any time at all this year. Like, sure. They're in the prime of their careers, but if, the, if one of those guys misses like 25 games, it could be kind of tricky for them. They've been held, those two guys have been healthy enough of late to kind of assuage some of my concern there. But, you know, as we've talked about, you know, their reliance on them coupled with all of their weird roster issues and the way those roster issues kind of interlock is, is definitely a worrisome. I wouldn't, I don't feel super comfortable betting on any team to be a surefire playoff team aside from really Houston or Golden State. Any, any other team I could see kind of going a disastrous way under the wrong circumstances. Yeah, it feels like there's 10 or 11 good teams and then there's the two really elite ones and everybody else will be injuries. 
right? If we know who gets injured this year, like give me a list of who misses 30 games. I think you could probably guess who'd be the top eight. And that's, that's where it kind of hurts for teams like the Wolves where yes, Carl Anthony Towns has been incredibly healthy over the course of his career, but Jimmy Butler is like a 60 to 65 game kind of guy. Maybe Paul Millsap at this stage of his career ends up being a 65 game a year kind of guy. And if those guys aren't playing huge game, you know, a huge number of games for their teams, I'm not sure they're built to really sustain the level of attrition you're going to need to survive in these Western Conference playoffs. I mean, yeah, you look at last year, Millsap being out and Conley being out pretty much, those are your playoff spots right there. And then Butler missing so much time they went to the eighth seed. Like, direct result, like, one of these key players gets out, you're going to fall back on the pack. West is just too good. Right, and so that that's kind of why I ended up with two, is basically the idea of, is it more likely, like, let's say something happens. I, the, the large number idea works against the Northwest teams, but... I think that neither New Orleans nor San Antonio, like both those teams seem really kind of perilous in that sense to me. Like Davis, he played 75 the last two years. If he plays 70 or 65, then it gets really, really hard for them to hold up to that standard. And that's true of almost any team if their best player missed more time than you'd expect. But if I had to bet on whether one of those teams suffers injuries and Memphis makes or Memphis makes it in to kind of fill in that number, I don't think that's going to happen. It could, but I, I think that's less likely than that the other teams are just better than them. But it's, it's a close call. I think there's even an outside shot it ends up being one, or that it ends up being, like, um, I'm not even sure there's that much of a chance that it ends up being four. But I, I could see Houston being the only team. I don't expect it. I don't want it to happen, because I really like New Orleans and San Antonio, and it would be a great story for one or both of them to make it in. But, I mean, if the rest of this is as strong as it looks like it might be, then that's a possibility, too. Yeah, I think this is the high-variance division in the West for that reason, where the Northwest, I think, the Northwest is probably the most stacked top to bottom, but you're at least kind of counting on a couple of those teams to be there. Pacific, I feel like, is is pretty polar versus this one. You know, it really could just be one. It really could just be Houston in the end, and that would not be altogether shocking at all. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this year in the West should be really fun because there's so many teams with so much on the line. I guess it's more the Northwest. Like you could, you'll probably see two or three of these teams get blown up if they don't make the playoffs this year. Yeah, we could be set heading to a big transition offseason with these teams. I mean, I hope that New Orleans plays well enough that Davis, you know, if Davis wants to resign there, that he can because he he will be eligible for a designated veteran extension. That decision has to be made. San Antonio, it looks like that transition is coming at some point in the next couple of years. We don't know when. Memphis, it could happen any time, really. I mean, I, once, yeah. they, once they decide Conley and Gasol are one or both or just not in their future, while I think both those guys are overpaid on their current contracts, I know other teams will feel differently. I am not, I am not representative of every NBA franchise. And then Houston, I mean, I think they're going to keep it together. I mean, they got... Chris Paul and Crin Capella back. So you're going that. But then, and then Dallas, I mean, a lot of these teams are kind of planning for some sort of overhaul. Dirk, it looks like that's going to happen at some point. And that's, I think, one of the other interesting stories of this season is what do they learn for the next step? So like Dallas, what do they learn about Luca and Dennis Smith separately and together? What does Memphis learn about Jaron Jackson playing power forward, playing center? What does San Antonio learn about their young dudes and whether a LaMarcus, DeMar DeRozan lineup can work? Like, I, I, I'm really like this. This division is going to be one where, other than Houston, I'm going to be looking a lot at the long term. Well, we talked a lot about Memphis and kind of what their better case scenarios look like. Do we think there's a timeline for the Grizzlies where they're tr- they're looking at trading or actively trading Conley or Gasol in the middle of this year? I think it's definitely possible. It's just with their contracts being so large, it's kind of hard to come up with trades, right? I mean, sure. that's a lot of money to 
to move on to your roster. And at two you know, stacked season. positions league-wide, too. It's hard to find the like playoff team or the team that's really looking to make a run that doesn't have a point guard or a center already. I have actually one more question for y'all. I'm curious what you think. I feel like if I was New Orleans, I wouldn't trade Davis no matter what. Even if I thought he was going to leave in two years. Like I have this like transcendent generational player. The odds of me getting a player this good ever again are pretty small. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. Well, okay, so that's that's an interesting idea. My general guideline in this, and I'll write about this at some point, is that so Davis is going to be eligible for the designated veteran extension. Basically, a designated veteran extension is the exact same richest extension possible, or richest contract possible they could offer him a year later if he were a free agent. So the big concern for me would be, if he says no to that, locking it in a year early, he has an injury history. Thankfully, it's not an injury present. If he says no to it, then you're sitting there going, well, what can we do to change that no to a yes? And they could, you know, maybe they can get somebody big in free agency the summer of 2019. They might actually have cap space if they clear out their free agents and a couple other things. But that gets really dicey because at that point, so really what it would depend on is, I think other teams, even though Davis would be a pending free agent and that team would not be able to sign him to a designated veteran contract of any sort, Davis is so good. He's he's like the he would be the best player to, to change teams via trade. I mean, we'll see if Kawhi is healthy. Like Kawhi could obviously jump in this conversation in a long time. And Davis is still going to be young. He's still. I mean, you can make an argument that he's still pre prime. So I think what would happen is another team, Boston Celtics, would make such yeah. a big offer that you probably wouldn't want to do it. But you're sitting they're going, well, crap, if he's not willing to commit to us, we have to take this. But I feel like if you say you lose Davis, the West is so good, you'll be at the bottom of the league anyways. So then you can just start over. Drew Holiday is your best player with like Jalen Brown and a bunch of pit. That doesn't do that much for me versus having Anthony Davis. I look at like Milwaukee when they had Kareem. I'm not saying Davis is Kareem, but they had they lost Kareem, what, 40 years ago? Until they got Giannis like 35 years later, you get a chance to like that once every 30 years. You just go with it, man. And there's there's kind of a timeline issue too when it comes to guys like it, like Jalen or you know the other kind of pieces that could get back in a potential deal. Who if they're you know if they're on the rookie deal, great. And if you can get that kind of high end talent on a rookie deal, that that would be a nice little return. But if you're talking about a guy who's already signed his second contract or is about to, you're looking at you know maybe three years with that guy before you have to you know he's going to enter free agency again. Are you going to be anywhere in the three years after trading Anthony Davis or after losing Anthony Davis, given what you have on the rest of this roster? I, I just don't see who. I'll put it this way: If I were a general manager, I don't want to be remembered in history as the guy who traded Anthony Davis. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that New Orleans, granted there isn't a lot of carryover from this time, you could make an argument that New Orleans benefited from trading away their marquee guy the way that they did, because what Chris Paul, trading him away instead of whatever he would have done in free agency, that got them bad enough at the right time to get Anthony Davis in the first place. So, but I think what you, if you look at that trade, though, that first show they got Vita, I think would have been worse for them. If they, it was like Drogic, yeah. Lamar Odom. That would have been a bad trade for them. They're better off they would have been. They would have been too good yeah that it, yeah like to me, if you're going to trade Anthony Davis, depending on, but assuming they don't go for the DeRozan style offer like the Spurs did with Kawhi, you tear the whole damn thing down. You know, you go, you try to find a market for Drew, 
Well, Miritich is already going to be a free agent. Julius Randle has his own decision to make. But yeah, if you to me, if you're going to tear down, you tear it all the way down and you get really young guys. But I think those kind of offers will be on the table. And what's so interesting about Davis because of his incandescent talent is I think you would see teams coming out of the woodwork with strong offers that we're not even considering. One of those that's come off the top of my head is Philadelphia. I think oh. Philly I think Philly would be sitting there going, Holy crap, we can put Anthony and my thought here is Davis plus Embiid, not using Embiid in the trade. And like but I think they could just be sitting there with whoever ends up running that team going Well, so would you put Simmons in the trade then? I mean I want had, Simmons if, or Embiid. If he had to, yeah. I mean, I don't think that unless Fultz has an awesome year, Fultz plus the Miami pick plus like three other first round picks is probably enough. No, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I don't, and maybe Covington if you had to do that. But 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 but, I, but the point of it is, I think you're going to get basically offers from everybody because that's how good Anthony Davis is. And so somebody's going to do something ridiculous. I mean, some and it might even be like the like the Serge Ibaka Orlando trade, where it's just a team that comes out of nowhere basically offers you their entire franchise, and maybe it's no. a stupid trade for them, but they still do it i will say i've wondered if that's what the lakers plan is they're like Kawhi is great but let's just dump the whole roster on new orleans next year and then we can have lebron and davis in the same well no you want to know the real idea both what they sign Kawhi in free agency and then they trade every single young player that is not nailed down for anthony davis that's what i think they're going to try to do I mean, yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> Can you Let's imagine? get that happen. Let's get that going. Yeah, I mean, you you might have to relocate, but that would be pretty fun. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, to me, that, to me, that to me that's oh where God. the that's where the Lakers are going. I think what they're doing is they're going to try to sign the best guy they can with cap space next year. Then whatever, especially whatever young guys don't fit with LeBron, but honestly, it's going to be pretty much everybody. You trade the best package you can for the best player you can. I think they're going to go after Giannis. I think they're going to go after Anthony Davis, and it's going to be if they put, depending on what they put together, it might be really hard for that team to say no, especially because the Lakers, depending on how they structure all this stuff, might have the capacity to take on some bad salaries. So for some of these teams, they could even do that too. I mean, I guess if you were going to trade Ingram, Kuzma, Lonzo, and Josh Hart, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Like, that's going to be four starters. And basically every pick that's available. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I want every everything, as you said, everything that's not nailed down. Like, you could basically, the, the Pelicans would walk out of that trade with a team, basically, is, is the way you could think about it. But it's a, it's the rejects of another team. That's you know, true. it's 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 the same group that if it were that good, and I, I realize we're talking about comparing a bunch of young players to LeBron and Anthony Davis, so it's a little more complicated than that. But the idea that you're looking at that young group as kind of pieces that could become something more so than like, okay, this is a contender starter kit. Like, all those guys are really good, but you're also talking about a collection of pretty complicated and flawed players in their own way. Yeah. That's why I think ultimately I would just say, hey, we have Anthony Davis at 27. We'll go in the playoffs. Something can happen. If he leaves at the end of the year in two years, then we'll just start over. I think give me two shots at the apple with Anthony Davis in his prime and let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, we're, I think there's still so much time with him under this deal where I'm not I'm not really thinking about trading him yet in any any kind of serious way. And even to the extent that you were, I think you have to consider possibilities like like the one we're talking about with the Lakers where, you know, whatever team you're trying to trade Davis to, wouldn't that team just be worried that Davis is going to bolt at the end of this deal to go join whatever other team? Like the closer you get to the expiration of his contract, that's true, yeah. the less you're going to get back. And yet we're still way too early and he's still way too good to really have those conversations. But I mean, really this whole thing is just a giant shot 
at the Spurs. I feel like this whole conversation in terms of the way San Antonio has chosen to approach this thing with Kawhi, who there are more questions, there are more thorns in that conversation. But I mean, it's just it's just so tough to go from, oh, we have one of the best in his prime or, or you know, younger superstars in the league in Kawhi Leonard. And now we're going to end up with a team anchored by DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, that's just a, that's a tough turnaround for a team on this level. That is an understatement. <laughs> it's definitely a tough turnaround. So, so the last question that I like to ask in this, and this will be it'll tie in with a lot of guys that we've talked about recently, but breakout candidates from this division. But really what I'm thinking is it's not necessarily like guys that are going to become stars because we know how rarely that happens but players who we will be talking about differently in June than we are talking about them right now. I'm going to say Kyle Anderson. I think they have, they're so thin. Because, like, how many minutes did he play in San Antonio? It probably wasn't that many, right? Like, he wasn't getting a ton of minutes. I have to look at the numbers. He's averaging 27 minutes. Like, he'll probably play 35, right, in Memphis. They have so little else going on. Like, maybe he plays 35 minutes, he gets more stats, he gets the ball in his hands more, he puts up better numbers. We're thinking he's a better player than what he is now. He has some some really big fans in NBA front offices where... He's fun to watch. He's very fun to watch. He's a guy who, like, box score-wise is not going to wow you. But when you look at kind of the connective tissue of what teams need, he gives you a lot of that. And it's tough because then you watch him, you know, against, like, the Warriors or something who are just giving him wide-open corner threes, and he's clanking them, and he kind of offsets some of that. But in terms of taking, you know, a team like the Grizzlies... And really getting your offense from the initial drive to the kick out through him or kind of connecting the dots on a pick and roll in an interesting way. Like he's he's a really interesting offensive player to say nothing about you know him being, you know, I think a well above average defender, despite the fact that he's not the quickest of foot. You know, that combination is interesting for them. Just to, I mean, it's know, a lot of basketball IQ with him, Conley and Gasol. Absolutely. That's some high level. Thinking going and, on. and Kyle Anderson is such an unusual player that in the regular season, kind of like what he was a, a representation of some of the stuff we saw with the Spurs of like, you don't really have a plan for him. One of the funniest things I saw last year was Kevin Durant has a lot of trouble figuring out Kyle Anderson. He did it over the course of the playoff series, but like, I think he was just sitting there going like, what the heck is going on here? Because <laughs> Anderson's skill set is different. He's so patient. He doesn't bite on stuff as much on either end of the floor. He's just kind of going to, he, he works at his own speed. I've loved... I mean, I've watched Anderson since he was in high school because he committed, oh, yeah, to, go, yeah, he committed to go to my school. And so but I, I've always found him a fascinating player, and I'm so happy that he's gotten the opportunity to, to show that. I had a couple other ones in mind. One of them is James Ennis. I mean, Ennis has just put in the perfect situation to succeed. Whether he succeeds or he fails is an open question. But if he if he gets it, I mean, he's going to get wide open looks. If he tries defensively, he's going to switch a lot. Like, I think he's going to get all the chances in the world to do it. And that's going to be really, really interesting. And then the other one, it feels like this may, like it's happened in small bursts, but I think it's time for everybody to realize that Nicole Miritich is a really intriguing basketball player and that he could be a, like a, a more reliable part of a really good team because he's, you know, he was a part of some of the more successful Bulls teams. He was actually the best thing the Bulls had last year, but it's never really come together for a variety of different reasons. And this Pelicans squad, depending on how they run their front rotation, especially when he's at the four and Davis is at the five, it's going to be great for him on both ends of the floor. But also, like I think he can really help elevate them because getting that shooting from power forward opens up some real estate for all of their other offensive players. I did a Pelicans article a couple weeks ago, and these numbers jumped out to me. So last year, Davis and Miritich played 576 minutes together in the regular season. Offensive rating, 112.4. That had been number one in the league 
defensive rating 101.7 would have been number three. I mean, they were they were smoking teams, those two guys. And Randall in the playoffs, or sorry, not Randall, Amiritich in the playoffs, I thought had a, a low-key, really impressive defensive performance against the Pelicans. He did. I mean, he was, the Blazers, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, sorry, against the Blazers, excuse me. Um, but him, you know, withstanding some bludgeoning from Nurkic, really rotating well, covering a lot of ground, like heady, heady plays with his hands in terms of deflecting balls and getting steals. Like, if Miritich is that guy on a consistent basis, and just as importantly, if he's hitting his threes on a consistent basis, which is kind of touch and go I mean he can be really really good for them or or maybe it's just a matter of like if defenses think he's going to hit those threes often enough and have to close hard against him where he can put the ball on the floor and make some plays he can make some things happen for them and I think Randall is interesting in that perspective as well where this could be the year and this is a weird thing to say about a guy who's coming from the Lakers but where a lot of the NBA world and the basketball loving world kind of gets really acclimated to Randall in his game in a different context. You know, it, well, I mean, you got, he played in the playoffs. It's just a whole different thing. Oh, for sure. Regular season. And just playing for a good team for once, where you're going from last season per 36, Randall was 22 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, which is nuts. And obviously he's not going to play huge minutes on a nightly basis for a team this good. But it's how much of those stats are popcorn, how much of them are you know really legitimate. And putting him alongside Davis and Miritich, where – as we've talked about, they kind of are nice kind of three pieces to rotate around, whether you want to play Randall at center, whether, as we talked about, you want to play Miritich at small forward and get weird at times, you can do that. And obviously Randall and Davis together can work really well and maybe even relieve Davis of having to guard some of the centers on a nightly basis. I know it's not something he really loves to do, but I'm watching Randall for that reason for sure. And and another kind of breakout candidate, I think, from this division is DeJounte Murray, who in, in year three, you know, as Danny said, who are the guys we're going to be talking about differently a year from now? I think better or worse, Murray is going to be one of those guys. Either it's going to be this is a clear kind of starting level guard in the NBA for years to come, or this is a guy who, you know, is a nice defensive player and maybe won't ever really pull it all together offensively to be on that level. Yeah, I think, too, with Randall, one thing worth pointing out, like, who is his best teammate in Los Angeles, would you say, over the last four years? Wolf. I don't even know, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not even sure who it would be. Ingram? I mean, he's playing with Davis and Holland. I think that'll make him a lot better. Long story short, like, he's playing with a whole different level of talent around him than he was in Los Angeles. And I think he'll be okay with being a smaller fish in a bigger pond because they're going to be winning. You know, I, I think that, yeah. makes, that makes all this stuff so much easier. Some guys, you have that real weird adjustment of, oh, they get, they get traded or something happens and they're in this, but... As long as New Orleans is winning, I think he's going to be 100% on board. There will be some challenges in terms of figuring out who's going to start and finish games for that team, but the talent, makes I think, makes it a lot easier to manage. And you know he's going to be motivated. He's playing oh, for yeah. a contract. He's, yeah. he's going to want to prove himself. For, I mean, he, you know he's got L.A. in his sights. Like, he has blood in his eyes. Well, and not only is he playing for a contract, but he's basically been scorned. I mean, he, you know, they had, the Lakers had the full, had the full opportunity to bring him back. And remember, the money they cleared to let Julius Randle go, they didn't use it on like yeah, getting, I'm still kind of shocked getting Paul that, George or getting Kawhi Leonard. They basically used that to get Brajan Rondo, and I could imagine him being pissed about that. I mean, he didn't sign an extension. I, I think a lot of that was, was, you know, just the nature of the terms. Like maybe he thought he was going to get more, but to basically get let go on a contract like that must piss him off. And I mean, you don't see many number seven overall picks just not get picked up their second contract. That's not that usual. That's pretty unusual, I feel like. Happened twice this year, though. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Jabari. It was a weird draft class. It happens sometimes. 
Uh, any other stories? Any any developments? One I don't think we talked about kind of enough is DeAndre. I think DeAndre Jordan on the Mavs. Like it, it's fun to get. I, I think for player valuation, it's going to be a lot easier for Doncic and Dennis Smith just because they have this role big man with Dirk, and so we get to we get a better evaluation period for them. I'm not necessarily sure how much the value added is going to be just because of, you know, I don't think Dallas is a playoff team with him and then, you know, what is it? But it's still it's still going to be useful for those guys in their long-term development to play with DeAndre for a little while. Yeah, for, I think for Dallas it's more about next year and can they be good enough this year to where free agents might want to come sign with them. I'm a little concerned they're a little putting the card before the horse still. I think they're probably two years away from being a free agent contender, but they're going to try to be good next year so they can make a splash of free agency next summer. We'll see if that works because I'm not sure Dion. I mean, he's so much older than Dennis and Luca. Hard to see him as a long-term answer there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where, you know, as Danny mentioned, the developmental opportunity with Dennis and Luca comes up where – even if DeAndre is just kind of a mechanism to show what those guys can do, then maybe that's your in with free agents where you're not showing them, oh, here is our record, look how good we were. It's the highlight reel of Dennis Smith throwing lobs to DeAndre and saying this could be you. Though so I will say, as, as far as the Mavs go, I'm much more worried about the two-guard position long term. I think like I think if you have a really good two-guard, I think it goes a really long way. Wesley Matthews getting a little older. I think they really got to find an elite two guard. That's that thing more than a center. It's the two guard long long term. Well, so do you not see Luca in that spot? Well, I think you another wing though, just a three and sure. D wing. So yeah. Luca's a three. It's hard to say exactly where the numbers are, but just they need a three and D wing to give them what they thought Matthews would be, which he isn't. Well, like like every team in the league, an infinite number of three and D wings would be really useful for Dallas. I mean, because theoretically, let's say Dennis Smith doesn't work out, they could just basically park a bunch of them around Doncic, and that would be great. And that's another guy who this is a really understatedly important year for is Harrison Barnes. Because Harrison Barnes, it's, he's going to be a different, I kind of have a little bit of a different role in this team because there are young guys and all that. But remember, he has a player option for next year. He can be a free agent if he wants to be. And I could see him coming out of this year looking pretty good because Dennis looks for a shot maybe a little bit too much for my taste, but Doncic could end up, that could end up working out well for Harrison Barnes. He gets gets his shots, has a good year, and maybe he's not going to get the same like annual value that he would have gotten on that, but he can end up in a circumstance that's good at a dollar figure that makes him happy and that he'll opt out for that reason. Here's the thing to watch with Dallas with that is Barnes doesn't really like playing the four. He was trying to move back to the three. It's tough on his body. And so will Barnes or Luca guard fours? I think that'll be kind of a low-key interesting storyline for them. Oh, and along those lines, how much does Anthony Davis play center? It's almost exactly the same conversation. I mean, he's been reluctant to do it during the regular season. He's basically said, I'm going to do it in the playoffs because why not? But how how much do they play Miritich and AD together versus all these other centers they have? I think if you're New Orleans, you just do it like, let him just not play the five for the playoffs because it doesn't really matter. You, you have that in your back pocket for a playoff series anyways. I feel like play, guarding guys bigger than you is like the flossing of the NBA. Like, <laughs> it's really good for you. It's going to help you in the long run. It's just, God, I really do not like doing it. It's a long season, man, you know. Especially with Davis, you know, protect your body. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time. Always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Danny. us on. Thanks again to Rob and Jonathan for taking the time to come on. You can read Rob at Sports Illustrated. You can listen to the Breakaway podcast as well, and you can follow him at Rob Mahoney, R-O-B-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y. And you can read Jonathan Sharks at The Ringer, where he is a staff writer. And you can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Sharks, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S. 
it would have been fun to get these guys' perspective on the Anderson and Melton for Knight and Chris trade, but alas, it happened I don't know, like 10 hours after we recorded this. So that'll be a part of it. I'm probably going to write about that deal for The Athletic. Nate and I are definitely going to talk about it on Dunked On at some point. Not the most consequential thing, but there are a couple interesting implications. Also, Kevin Pelton wrote a wonderful piece on, I believe it's called ESPN Plus now. And you can, you can and should check that out just like all of KP's work. So I think I'm going to write something on it tonight. I don't know for sure. Lots of fun stuff coming down the pike. Real GM now getting into September, the last full month without NBA basketball and still have two division previews to do the Pacific and the Southeast. So I'm going to do both of those and then likely also do Arturo Galetti over unders. It's a tr- annual tradition, Real Jam Radio. I think this will be the fourth year that we've been doing it. So those are all anticipated for the month of September. And many of you know that I do not announce things, generally speaking, until they are recorded because that's the way I do things. Because in case something falls through, I don't want to get your expectations up. But I did record, I've been asked about it a few times. I recorded on Thursday and will release probably early next week. I did a conversation with Eric Benish, who is executive producer of NBA 2K19. We talked about what's new in the game and all that. It's it's a tradition as well. And that will be released as a standalone, not an episode, but as a standalone segment, probably on Monday. So if you're looking forward to that, if you're if you like that, I've been asked like, hey, you're going to do that again this year. I love doing it. So that will be out probably Monday of next week on Labor Day, maybe on Tuesday because of the holiday. Still figuring all of that stuff out when I get it edited and everything like that. If you want to support this show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player if you're choosing. Hopefully that's Apple Podcasts. Or if you want to be super awesome, you can leave a rating and review both places if you use a different podcast player. You can also subscribe, download every episode. Those are huge things to do, especially for a show like this that comes out on different days and everything like that. And the biggest thing you can do with this show or any other show that has them is check out our advertisers. Pluto TV, the largest free streaming service. Very cool. I got to check it out. BetOnline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. A lot of cool stuff going on right now. And then TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. As always, if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. You can try with Twitter, but it's just, it's so ephemeral. I, I miss stuff a lot, even sometimes with DMs, just because the formatting can get weird. But if you send an email, if you take time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't promise I'll respond. Things get hectic, but I will read it because I am dedicated to making the show better. And I don't want you to waste your time. So I, I, I make that promise. And this will, will keep going. I love doing it. I'm so thankful to having Podcast One as a partner and doing really happy with, with where this is going. And if you really want more episodes of this, then one great way is to, ch- to check out our advertisers so we can get more advertisers and that happens. Maybe I can move this to twice a week, but I'm happy with one. It doesn't need to be more, but I'm down to do it if, if we can make it work. So Dunked On is going to be going. I think we still have another month before that gets to five times a week, but we are still doing two times a week. Team previews are the primary focus, but we're going to get more into news and all that kind of stuff too. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
for the team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp outs. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.